The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ted Beck, who is CEO and President of NEFI, which is the National Endowment for Financial Education. Welcome to the show, Ted. Hello, Jordan. We're going to be talking about economic survival tips in the uh, economy we've got today, and there's, there's certainly an awful lot to discuss. From your point of view and hearing what you're hearing, why don't you give me a sense of, of how you see the economy now? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What, what kind of problems are you seeing now that you might not have seen as much in the past? Well, I think this is a pretty new turf. I don't think any of us, you know, I've been there around the uh, business world and economics for over 30 years and uh, this I've never seen anything quite like this now I do think there's some uh, positive things happening you're starting to see some companies uh, starting to stabilize uh, you're gonna see the stimulus plan starting to kick in here so I'm fairly optimistic for the second half of the year now the only negative in there is is that uh, probably not a lot of job creation till well closer to 2010. So business is stabilizing. Uh, I think a lot of the fear will start to slowly come out of the economy, but new job creation usually lags a little bit behind that. So as far as consumers' uh, spending and credit habits, how has that changed from, say, five years ago during the boom? Well, clearly people have become more conservative, and uh, that seems to be across the board. We clearly recommend to people if you're in a in a tight spot, you should really watch your spending. Uh, the economy is made up of a whole bunch of personal economies. So if you're stretched and you're having a little trouble with your bills or you're concerned about your job, clearly you should maybe take a more conservative approach. On the other hand, if things are fine and you're not worried about uh, your job uh, and you're in a comfortable position, uh, there's really no need there to, to pull in the horns. So uh, you're seeing a lot of people are pulling in their horns, even if they don't need to. They're just scared in many cases and changing their behavior. And also I think overconsumption is no longer cool. Uh, just the uh, the acquisition of, uh, of lots of things, lots of stuff, uh, is a term I'm actually hearing a lot. Uh, people are being more conservative about and saying, do I really need this? And Or could that money be better used somewhere else? Before we get into some of the content of uh, all of how people should be dealing with these economic times, just tell people briefly uh, what NEFI is and uh, what kind of programs you offer to the public. Well, we're a nonprofit organization that's solely focused on trying to improve the financial knowledge and capability of the American public, uh, down for individuals and families. We don't sell anything. Uh, we are self-funded, so we do not have industry or any sort of private interest behind us. The, the sole goal is to make people better prepared to make intelligent uh, decisions. We fund programs, including high school programs that are we're in all 50 states. 
which is a personal finance program that's taught in uh, over 6,500 schools. Uh, we also have launched a college program called Cash Course that's been adopted by over 250 colleges and universities just in the last year. Uh, we fund a lot of original research about uh, financial behavior. Why do people do the things they do? Why do we all procrastinate? And that includes me when it comes to financial decision making. Uh, and then we partner with we've partnered with over a hundred organizations, ranging from Habitat for Humanity to the Red Cross to the Boy Scouts, trying to get financial education to their constituents. So uh, our motives are pretty pure. We just want people to be better informed. And tell us a little bit about your background and what you were doing before you became the president of NEFI. Well, I've been here about four years. Uh, prior to that, I spent seven years as the associate dean at the business school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, so I spent some time in academic life. And then before that, I spent 23 years as a banker. So uh, I've seen the for-profit uh, academic and now the non-for-profit sides of business. And I've got to tell you, this is the most fulfilling job I've had. Let's talk about the banking situation since you've been been on the other side. Uh, what is your sense of, of the banking situation? Is it getting better now? We've had over 30 banks closed by the FDIC so far this year. Uh, we've had uh, the TARP funds. Now some banks are starting to give TARP funds back. We've had the stress tests. We've got this new credit card bill, which looks like it's going to go through Congress and be signed to law. Give us a, a sense of the uh, the banking landscape right now. Well, I think the good news is, is that things are calming down and that the uh, Federal Reserve and the Treasury and the FDIC, uh, you know, when the history books are written, I think they're going to all say that these folks took very aggressive, very uh, effective action early on. We did not sit around as a country and say, gee, what are we going to do? Uh, and, I, and I'm really quite impressed by that. And, uh, yes, several banks have closed, but the FDIC has been very proactive in making sure that they're ahead of the problem there. Uh, you know, the fact that the banks are starting to stabilize and returning the money uh, that was loaned to them via various government programs to, to provide the support at critical times, I think is a very good sign about the stability and strength of the system. Uh, you know, we all thought, gee, that all this money is being thrown at the problem. Uh, early returns are that it's not only hopefully been effective, but the money is starting to be repaid as hoped. So I'm cautiously optimistic. And how about this new credit card bill going through? Do you think it's a, a good idea? How will it help consumers, and will it hurt banks? Well, I, I think that there's a lot of the uh, regulatory activity that we're going to be seeing is designed to protect consumers. And uh, you're seeing it not only in, in actions with credit cards, but also some of the activities that are being taken uh, on mortgages and anything else. So you're going to see a, a more... I think, aggressive regulatory environment, and everybody's going to have to come to a happy medium on that. So I mean, you're seeing a lot of stresses amongst consumers now yes. with high interest rates and rising fees. Do you think this legislation is going to make a significant difference in that front? Uh, I think it's too early to really tell. Uh, you've got to see, first of all, does legislation go through, and then does, uh, you know, will the systems that be put that would be put in place actually bring costs down. Uh, that's one of, the, I think, the real goals here. Uh, some would say that it's going to weaken the banks, that the credit card has been one of the more profitable areas of the banks, and they need profits wherever they can get them, and this is going to restrict those profits, therefore weakening the banking system. Does that make sense to you? Uh, not really. The banks are, you know, especially uh, some of the banks that have been in the news 
or recently have lots of different areas where they do business. And fundamental to any banking system is is that the is really sound credit decision making. And I think the banks are really returning to that, and that I strongly applaud. The idea of, of making good loans to people that uh, get paid back is better than uh, just about any other environment the banks could uh, see. So, you know, and that and the yield curve is very much in the bank's favor right now. So, yeah, I don't see it being a major threat. Uh, the, the biggest threat to any financial uh, system is failure to repay. And I think that a lot of what's going on right now is will eventually improve the repayment plans that people have. Yet, uh, clearly, unemployment is rising in this country. That's the first thing you want to talk about is the whole job loss situation. Um, we've just had the announcement of the uh, GM closing 1,100 dealerships and Chrysler almost uh, 900 dealerships and the jobs there and the related suppliers and so on to those companies. Uh, Chrysler's in bankruptcy. GM looks like it's about to go into bankruptcy, and that's going to have a ripple effect. Uh, is all the unemployment we're seeing, it seems to be rising unemployment, uh, going to affect repayment rates for banks? Uh, well, uh, clearly, if somebody is out of a job, it makes it a little tougher. But I do think some of the banks took uh, actions to kind of cut back on credit availability over the last couple of years. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Uh, as quickly as we can get people back to working, uh, and also you know working through repayment schedules that they can uh, make, I, th- I think the better off we'll all be. But you know the rising unemployment rates. Uh, hopefully, it'll stabilize here pretty soon, and uh, that'll help stabilize the situations for the banks. Uh, you you have some tips for people who are either already been laid off or are facing a, a layoff. And let's just talk about some of those things uh, briefly. What steps should people take to negotiate and understand a uh, severance package they may get? Well, you know, first of all, if, if you're facing a job loss, you know, the, the one, there's a couple of things you want to do before it actually happens. One, try to make yourself as valuable as possible. So if uh, you, you know, you're considered to be one, an indispensable employee, the probability of your being laid off decreases. So... You know, be aggressive about it. Try to make sure that everybody views you as a key player uh, in whatever job you have. So, and then also, if regretfully you are faced with either a layoff or a reduction in hours uh, or a furlough, if a lot of government employees are right now going through furloughs, but if you are faced with that layoff, try to find out what benefits are available to you. What is in the package? Uh, This is not a time to get uh, angry or emotional, and that's a very hard thing not to do. Uh, I understand that, but see what benefits are available to you and make sure you take advantage of those. If there's job retraining available in your area, take a hard look at it. And also see if you can negotiate extra, any delay in the actual layoff date. Uh, Is your sense that, that more companies are giving out severance packages or fewer these days? Uh, it's really hard to say. You know, severance packages uh, have been cut back, I believe, a bit. Uh, the The idea is that uh, you know this is no longer a performance issue, so it's really something where jobs are being eliminated. Uh, so yes, I do believe that overall the severance programs have been cutting back, but there are other programs available to you. I mean, in, in the new stimulus plan, one of the things that I think people really need to pay attention to is. It's important to keep your insurance after you've lost a job. And the new stimulus plan uh, allows uh, for the payment that the government could give you up to a 
subsidy to continue to make COBRA payments. Now, COBRA payments are basically a, an empl- a former employee continuing to have the, the health insurance benefits that were previously available to them. They just have to pay for it themselves. And here is a very significant component of the stimulus plan that you could potentially get up to 65% of that paid for. So that, that's, those are the kinds of things you need to really look at, not only what's available in the severance package that's provided by the employer, but also what might be available to you in the stimulus plan. Very good. Okay, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Ted Beck, uh, CEO and President of NIFI, which is the National Endowment for Financial Education. And we'll be back with more tips on how to deal with the economy we're in today. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime. I'm not to listen. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ted Beck, who's CEO and president of NIFI which is the National Endowment for Financial Education. Welcome back to the show, Ted. Thank you. We were talking about uh, people, things that people should do if they either have been laid off or anticipating being laid off. We talked about severance packages and insurance options. 
Uh, talk about unemployment benefits a bit again, and what people should apply for, what should they should expect, and how long they may last. Well, uh, the key thing is, very often, especially if you've never gone through any sort of job loss in your personal career, uh, sometimes we talk to people who say, well, you know, gee, I really do, that's kind of an embarrassing or hard thing to go do. And you really need to go down. It's a benefit that is already paid for, so these are things you need to take advantage of. And so go ahead and go, go down and register. And now each location, various states are extending things differently, so uh, the key thing is to really go find out what's available to you locally. And this is something where hopefully... The human resources folks at the at your former employer should be helpful to make sure that you get good and accurate information on that. So don't be embarrassed. Uh, it's a benefit. It's an insurance program, and go take advantage of it. And in many places, they're now being the terms are now being extended, so you'll actually have more benefit for a longer uh, period of time. Are these unemployment offices helpful in actually helping you find a new job? Uh, typically, they're more focused on benefits. Uh, so the the main thing in finding a new job is this is a this is a full time job for you now. If you if you've lost your previous job, you've really got to get out there and start networking, and trying to figure out what and take inventory of what your job skills are and what other things you might be able to do during that interim period until you get back into your career or get your career back on track. And one of the things that that I often tell people in this is. Don't be embarrassed to take a part-time job to have some income coming in. I mean, if you have to take something that is uh, an hourly job that you might have thought you would have no interest in previously to just help get some cash in the house, that's not a bad thing to do. What are the rules around working while you're on unemployment? Is it quite strict, or do a lot of people kind of stretch it a little bit? And... Uh, well, uh, you have to find out what they are, again, for you locally. Uh there are rules about what sort of minimum hours that you might be able to have, and, and be cautious about that. Don't don't try to fudge the system. It really doesn't pay off in the long end. But probably a lot of people do, and the unemployment offices are pretty overwhelmed probably right now as far as monitoring these things, right? I, I would assume they're pretty busy places, but again, you want to play by the rules. The last thing you want to do is uh, violate uh, the guidelines that are out there for you and uh, lose a benefit. So what happens in a case like that? You're taking benefits, and you have maybe not a full-time, but you know, substantial freelance or some kind of other work going on, and they find out about it. What happens? Uh, I can't tell you specifically about that. Uh, that's uh, something I, that I have not had to deal with. And uh, But again, I'd just be really cautious about it. Yeah. Another thing you say, people who are laid off or maybe get laid off, is to contact your creditors. Uh, probably that's the last thing most people want to do, and the creditors, they would be worried that they would immediately shut down their credit lines and, and cut them off. Why would one contact creditors if you've just been laid off or think you're going to be? If you have a good history as a borrower, they, and and this is very important, especially you know in, in times like this when the economy slowed down a bit. And if you have a good history, that it's I think it's very important to pick up the phone and start to talk to the lenders that you've worked with and say, look, I've I've got a good history. This is a temporary situation. Let's try to work this out so that it, it, it's good for everybody. Uh, again, if you've got that strong credit history with them, they want to keep you as a client. They want to keep your business. And uh, I think people are very understanding right now that there can be a temporary job loss. So going in and working out a payment structure, 
that is agreeable to both you and the lender, I think, is, is very important. And being proactive shows that you're trying to make this work. A very important message uh, to the lender. So, but so also people, make sure it's, you're trying to work out a payment schedule that you can live with. The one thing that, that could be a real disappointment is if you uh, go in and say, okay, I'm going to pay X dollars a month, and if you don't make those payments because you were being a little over-optimistic, that's going to make things a little tougher to get the thing restructured. So you think people's fears that if they tell their creditors they've just been laid off, that the creditors are going to close down their credit lines and so on is, is unfounded fear? Uh, I think the more you can work with your lender, and because it's it's in their best interest that you pay off the debts in a in a manner that you can work out. The last thing they want to do is see you in bankruptcy, because that hurts them as well. So, being proactive and trying to work out a schedule that you can live with, I think, is very key. And then there's some other things you can do. You know, as small as this might sound, many of us have assets that we really don't need. So. You know, if you've got something, you know, even down to just having a yard sale to generate some extra cash, if there's a car you own that you don't need, you might think about selling it. This is not a time to say, oh, well, this this will blow over quickly. You know, generating that extra cash, I think, is a very positive thing to do, and then trying to apply it towards debt. The next area we want to talk about is foreclosure fraud. Uh, there's a lot of uh, demand for mortgage modifications out there, yet there's a lot of fraudulent things going on there. What, What is legitimate and what is lo- not legitimate in getting your mortgage modified? Well, th- there's a couple things to watch out for. The uh, And this goes back to that classic thing we've all heard so many times over our lives. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So if you have somebody cold calling you, and saying they can do things that seem unrealistic, that's a good time to walk away. And if you've got people who are asking for you to make a payment to help restructure debt, that's usually a huge red flag again to walk away. So if uh, the, one of the key things I think you should want to do is, want to, once again, be proactive. Talk to your lender. Uh, talk to the the servicer of your mortgage or the lender that that holds your mortgage and say, look, I've run into this situation. I'd like to try to work something out to extend the payments. Uh, the, and if you are a little cautious about that or a little concerned, here you can go to the, house, the uh, HUD counselors who are approved that are on the HUD websites, uh, uh, Housing and Urban Development. So if you go to hud.gov and look under foreclosure, uh, you can get to people who are approved counselors who are not going to take advantage of you. So, again, big things, cold calls, people coming in and saying, hey, I can make this work for you, uh, upfront fees, or somebody who is just sounding, giving you ideas that sound too good to be true, clear message to stay away. What kind of fees are legitimate for an approved HUD counselor? Uh, well, the... There should be no fees associated with the restructuring of the mortgage. Uh, those are usually wrapped into the cost of the mortgage. And is your sense that banks are being better about doing mortgage modifications today? Because I had heard that they were doing them, then they stopped doing them. There was kind of a moratorium, and now that they've come back on and start doing them again, and foreclosures, in fact, have been rising pretty dramatically lately. Well, there's, there's a couple things. Yes, the foreclosure numbers were up last month, uh, but you had to allow some time here for the system to kick in place. The uh, 
The mortgage modification program that came out of the government is only about two months old, so it took some time to get organized. And uh, so now the mortgage restructurings that are going through seem to be having a, you know, they're starting to build, and I think they will continue to build over the rest of the year as people go in and are able to take advantages of the systems that the, the government has put in place. And a good uh, HUD is a great place to get information on that. And I guess HUD.gov would probably be their website, yes. right? Uh, you say that people should beware of individuals wanting to buy your home and let you rent it back. How does that scam work? Well, it's when somebody comes in and says, hey, uh, you know, look, the, you, you've been, uh, you've made all your payments. Let me do this. Let me buy your house, and you can just rent it back for me, and then we'll work it out in the future. And then once the house deed has transferred, they say, okay, the rent is not, you know, the rent suddenly skyrockets. So, you know, there's a real chance to be taken advantage of there. Again, go through the approved channels and see what's available to you. Uh, when somebody calls up and says they're going to do that, very often they're just trying to take advantage of your misfortune. Which they end is up buying really a house, unfortunate. Pardon me? And they're ending up buying your house at a cheap yes. price is what it comes down to. And then they can evict you, evict you whenever they want. Yeah. Um, another scam you say is uh, changing loan terms. Uh if you agree to a big payment in advance, how does that one work? Well, that's where somebody comes in and says, "Well, we'll we'll help you with this. This would not the lender would not do this. Come in and say we'll give you you know once you make a great big payment, and uh, then we'll work it off. You know, it'll work off uh, at a lower payment later on. Again, not no lender that would be doing that. That's not in their best interest. You also say there are services that kind of have federal or state looking like names but really aren't what are some of the things to watch out for there if somebody comes in and claims they're part of a federal program make sure that the the program that they're talking about exists and that they're just not using something that sounds like an FDIC approved program uh, or an FDIC approved lender uh, people Often we'll try to to make things sound like, oh, this is something that's that's got the government behind it, when in fact it doesn't. What can people expect from a legitimate uh, HUD-approved loan modification expert as far as reducing the principal or reducing interest rates? I mean, realistically, if it's done right, what kind of relief can people expect? Well, there's a couple of things you have to look at first. The, the and that's let's talk a bit about the process because I think that's an important part of the question you've just asked. If you go in and you're sitting down and you're going to start to re, want to restructure your mortgage, uh, you know, you're going to have to have a lot of information. Uh, don't assume you can do this over a lunch hour or set an hour aside. You're going to have to bring in information about your income. You're also going to have to uh, have some proof about hardship so that some potential restructurings could go through. Now, the first area to look at is how far... If you're underwater in your house, how far under are you? Uh, so if you're, you know, the new programs will go up to about 105% uh, of loans that are securitized by Freddie or Fannie. Uh, and, you know, above that, you're going to have a bit more of a problem. So you, you want to get a good handle on where you are in the value of your house right now. And if the loan is securitized by Freddie or Fannie. Very key thing. And then the other thing you really want to be able to prove is that you still have income. So that's, you know, bring in proof of where you are right now as far as what you're getting paid. 
So it is for people with hardship, but ability to repay just at a lower level, either principal uh, or interest is what yeah, they're going to try to get. The ideal is to get it down to 31% of uh, your gross income. And that means a reduction in interest or an extension of terms. Okay, very good. We'll be back. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Ted Beck, uh, who's CEO and President of NIFI, the National Endowment for Financial Education. And we'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. What are the do's and don'ts when it comes to solving personal foreclosure? With over 2,700 foreclosures daily, what can you do to ensure the housing crisis doesn't hit home? Tune in to Foreclosure Exposure Radio with host Carla Duglin. This show will give you steps you can immediately use to save your own home and credit. Face and conquer foreclosure issues before they affect you. Listen for Foreclosure Exposure Radio every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Network. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Ted Beck, who's the president and CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education, NIFI. Uh, welcome back to the show, Ted. Great, thank you. We were talking about uh, extended family scams. You know, you may be doing okay, but uh, check on your, your relatives. Talk a little bit more about that. Uh, it's one of the things I think is, is really a risk. Even if you're on top of things and you're, you don't really have any concern about your own financial situation or th- know that you know, you're not about to fall for a scam or a, a, a really great story, uh, Check the family. 
if you have uh, elderly relatives, uh, parents, uh, they may be getting approached. Or if you have uh, you know, anybody in the family, cousins, brothers, sisters, uh, don't assume that they aren't vulnerable. So having a discussion every once in a while about, you know, is, are you being approached on these things? Is, is anybody trying to give you a really fast story that uh, might involve your finances? You might be able to really help someone in the family avoid a problem. And uh, that, you know, is going to pay off in the long run. I and mean, one of the things I recommend to people is you, know, you can do uh, free credit checks uh, once a year. I recommend people stagger them. So you might say, I'll do, I'll check with one of the agencies uh, today and then another one in six months so that you're also checking that uh, more frequently than once a year without going into having to pay for the service. And then also I do it for parents because they may be a little reluctant to do it. It's, it's not something everybody wants to do is to get online and go through the process of uh, doing a credit check. So you might want to help uh, anybody who's elderly in your family so that nobody tries to do identity theft or do some sort of scam on their Social Security number. Indeed. Uh, the next area you want to talk about was uh, creditors uh, that are calling people. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are starting to fall behind in their credit card payments or their mortgage payments, what are some things that people can do in dealing with creditors that are calling? Well, I, again, I, to take that step back, if, if, you are starting, if you're worried about being able to pay your debts, be proactive. Uh, try to make that call and see if you can head off a problem. But if you are starting to get calls, especially if you're somebody who's never had to deal with this before and never thought you'd be in the situation, and that's one term I think we've all heard more than ever over the last year and a half is, I never thought this would happen to me. But if you are getting credit or calls, there's a couple of things I, I recommend you start with. First of all, find out who you're talking to. If it is a lender, if it's a bank or a credit card company that you were a customer of, uh, they may be more willing to work with you. If it's a credit agency uh, or, excuse me, a collection agency that the, your debt has been sold to, could be a tougher discussion. Uh, in that case, actually in either case, the first thing I would try to do is make sure the information they have is accurate and you agree with it. So find out what they say or are saying you owe and make sure you agree that that is the amount and those are the terms then don't volunteer all that much. You know, Try to find out the details. You can ask that that be sent to you in writing so that you agree with that. And then if they do send it in writing and you don't agree with it, they have to include, the collection agency has to include a process for you to go through so that you can challenge that that is not your debt or not the amount. So those are some good initial steps. And keep good records of the correspondences. Who called you, when, what did they say? Very important. Uh, And the other thing is understand that no way can they threaten you. So they can't uh, say they're going to take your assets or they're going to garnish your wages. That can only be done by a court. So you do not have to put up with any sort of abusive behavior by a collection agency during that process. So make sure that the, accurate, the information is accurate and that you agree with it. Uh, if you don't, you can challenge it. Uh, and then try to work out a plan. If you are in agreement that you owe that, uh, try to work out a plan, again, that you can live with. 
and uh, that and that's actually once you've started to do that, you could go through and, and request that some of you know, maybe some late penalties uh, might be you could ask that they might be waived. That's a negotiation, and then once things start to work out a little bit, you can actually go in and say, well, could we go back to the original interest rate? Uh, if they have, if in fact the interest rate has increased uh, because of your being late on some bills. Yeah, no, indeed, that's <laughs> uh, an awful a lot of people doing, going that situation. Um, I've been hearing a lot about debt settlement companies that say that they'll come in and settle your debts for fifty cents of the dollar or something like that. They'll take some fees up front. What do you think of those kind of companies? Uh, again, I would go directly to the lender. The, the concern I have about debt settlement is uh, if if you pay them a fee up front and they say, well, now you're, we've negotiated the debt and it's been reduced. I mean, there's an assumption in there that they may actually have bought the, uh, the receivable from the lending institution. But you have no guarantee at that stage that the payment has actually been reduced. So talk directly to the lender or, or the organization authorized to speak for the lender that's where you want to spend your time. Do not pay a fee up front to get a debt reduced. Yeah, okay. All righty. Uh, the next area that you wanted to talk about was uh, talking to kids about the current economic situation and recession. Um, what are some things that uh, the impressions you make on kids and how people are dealing with these financial stresses uh, that would might be helpful to some families out there? Well, you know, first of all, don't, don't think that the kids don't know if there's something going on. Uh, children are incredibly uh, able to hear things that are said around the house, and uh, so don't don't assume that they haven't picked up if there's an issue. If you're concerned about your job, uh, and at that point, especially if if it's you're concerned about a layoff, sit everybody down and say, "Look, this is the situation. Uh, there's you're all hearing about job loss, and that could happen to us, or it has happened to us." And there's some things the whole family needs to do to help pull together. If you haven't had a budget, get one real fast. And look at what your income, be it unemployment, severance, any other income coming into the house, if you went from two-income family to one income, and try to balance out what your core budget is. And by core, I mean take out anything that is flexible so that you may have a pretty good understanding what you're going to be able to bring into the house over the next period of time while you're looking for a job. So answer their questions. Make sure that, uh, you know, don't try to avoid the discussion. And, uh, you know, try to show them by example that you're going to give up some stuff if you're asking if you're asking kids to give up uh, either some piano lessons or some sort of activity they wanted to do show that you're also pulling the belt a little bit tighter so that they see that it's part of the family. Uh, you also, it's a great time for kids to get some part-time jobs. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're not going to be able to give a child an allowance or it's going to be tight for a while, uh, help them try to you know, figure out ways to earn some money, mowing lawns, uh, you know, sort of the classic that a lot of us did when we were kids. And watch your words. Be careful not to scare children, uh, make them feel that things are you know even worse than they might perceive them to be, uh, because this is new to them. So be careful and encouraging. 
one of the things you might want to look at, especially if you have some older children who are in college, who are very worried about, oh, am I going to be able to stay? Because of the reduction in income in your family, they may in fact now be eligible for aid from the schools they go to uh, that you weren't previously eligible for. And if there's one thing I think a lot of colleges and universities are anxious to do, if you're in good standing as a student, they want to keep you there. And if your family situation has changed, they should go in and talk about what might be available to them and to support their their uh, tuition and staying in school. I've been hearing of several people who have had to drop out of school because of loss of income. You're saying in many cases that really wasn't necessary. Uh, I'm saying that this is something to check into to see if you're eligible for. Don't assume that you know you're, you're just because you've already started school that uh, you're no you can't go in and see if you're now eligible or uh, different support programs provided by the university, especially if you're a student in good standing. They want to keep you there. So see if they can work with you. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, so that's basically talking to kids. Now, the next area, you actually have a uh, study that was just done uh, at Arizona State. Uh, actually, the University of Arizona. University of Arizona. I'm told to be very particular about that. Yes, University of Arizona, talking about uh, how particularly younger people, are dealing with their money and credit cards. What are some of the key findings from that study? Well, I, you know, the, the, I think the key finding is is this is uh, an area that really hasn't been studied very much. And uh, so what we've done is we've funded, uh, as part of our research agenda, uh, the start of a baseline study that's going to look at literally thousands of students going through the University of Arizona starting as freshmen, and trying to follow them for a number of years and see what their decision-making is and how that changes over time. I, I think several things that came out of the Arizona study, and again, I think the, the folks there have done a fabulous job of really starting to understand young adults uh, as they start their college career. Uh, there were three big factors in who had risky behavior and who didn't. By risky behavior, it's maxing out credit cards, missing payments, uh, you know, things you would hope that you wouldn't be doing as you were starting to go get your own financial life established. But we found that there were three really major factors in uh, positive behavior, or in other words, not risky behavior, and that is one family. You know, do they come from a family that talked about money and made sure that they uh, had pretty good cash management skills when they started school? Uh, the second thing is uh, some financial training, financial education, a, a course in school. And another a really positive factor in avoiding risk, risky behavior is uh, students that had part-time jobs. So they've seen how much uh, is taken out of a paycheck for taxes and, and different uh, benefit programs. So those three factors, family, some education and a part-time job are very positive factors in positive behavior. And the most interesting is the family factor equals the other two. We'll get into a little bit more detail after the break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ted Beck, CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education. And we'll be back after this.
markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for a good time? We've got a show that will give you a wild ride. This show will make you feel good. And it's not even bad for you. You need your time to let loose. It's time for a feel-good party. Pull up to the computer, mix yourself a drink, and turn up the speakers. Happy Hour is here. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's called the biggest radio show in the world. Hosted by international personality and pundit Michael DeMarco. You don't know what's coming next. The biggest radio show in the world on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Hey, thank you. Well, it's one of the things we asked in the survey, or actually the, the researchers at the university asked, is uh, how do you assess your own financial behavior and how do you assess your peers? And this is versus some some uh, testing they did about what the overall level is. And in general, students thought they were pretty good, uh, but they thought they're you know above the norm, and they thought their friends were below the norm and demonstrated some risky behavior. So. You know, sometimes uh, checking the mirror is a little tough, and uh, they were all saying they thought they were actually pretty good. Uh, now, nothing wrong with a little optimism, but uh, they also then looked at their friends and said they're they're probably a little below average. So interesting, the perception of people when they come in, especially as freshmen, about other people's behavior. 
tell us some of the percentages of how students, uh, how many of them have been in, engaging in so-called risky financial behavior. As you, I know it's the first time the study has been done, but is your sense that that's getting higher or lower? Well, we're, what we're seeing, again, this is a baseline study with the idea of being able to uh, study this over time. So, you know, the idea, and it's also coming at a time when a lot of people are coming into school and they're more worried uh, about financial behavior. And now, a, a disappointing factor is most students, actually about 72.5%, reported at least one risky financial behavior within the preceding six months, so that seems quite high. And more than 10% had engaged in multiple risky financial behaviors in the same period. So, you know, those are numbers that I assume as people become a bit more conservative, uh, just given what's going on in the economy, hopefully those will decrease. But again, uh, the reason we're doing a baseline study is to be able to take a hard look at that and see what we can learn. And you said even beyond that, one in five use what you call extreme strategies, uh, such as payday loans and surfing from one credit card to another. Uh, is, is that higher than you expected? Yes. Uh, because uh, partially because of the age, uh, these are you know often 18-year-olds, and the fact that they're going to payday loans and maxing out credit cards or paying credit cards one credit card with another, uh, you know that is a financial uh, hole that you're digging yourself into at a very early age. Uh, because one of the things we like to see, and especially when we talked before about those positive influences on avoiding risk behavior, is first of all making sure the student has a good handle on cash management. Then managing credit kind of builds out of that. Uh, so if you've got a good handle on how you're going to finance your activity and how you're going to finance your, your uh, living while you're in school and not falling trapped to getting numerous credit cards uh, when you sign up the first, when you show up for orientation, and then using those credit cards, assuming that somehow they're going to pay themselves back, that's behavior we're very concerned about. Part of the new credit card reform bill is limiting uh, students' ability to get credit cards uh, without showing ability to repay, or if they're going to get them, they're going to have to have their parents co-sign. Yes. Do, do you think that's a, a healthy thing, and, and how is that going to change uh, kind of consumer credit behavior on campuses? Well, you know, it's kind of reverting to uh, the way credit cards originally were, were given, uh, the idea that you had to prove that you had income to repay. Uh, now, the assumption with, with college students is, is that they were going to, in the future, have very positive income streams uh, because of their higher level of education. I think reverting to some responsibility, which may actually include uh, co-signing, so that the parents will help bring that discipline to the student and saying, you know, only use this uh, for the following reasons, and then let's make sure we know what's on there so that you don't max these things out. That, to me, is a, is a fairly positive exper first experience at getting credit. Uh, you don't want people just assuming that there isn't a repayment responsibility with any credit card. So getting that early on, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, that looks like that's likely to happen. Okay, another area that uh, a lot of people are asking about is their 401k. Um, in many places, companies are now uh, cutting back on their matches uh, of 401ks. Um, so the question we get all the time is, should I continue to contribute to my 401k even if I've lost a lot of value? What is your answer to that? Well, I think there's a couple of things to, to consider. The continuing to participate in the 401k, I think, is a very key thing. If you look at 
your long-term responsibility to build your own retirement plan and your own financial security. Uh, the 401k continues to be a very positive uh, factor with or without the match. Uh, it's You get a significant tax protection because it's building tax-free, and uh, that is a very positive effect in, in building your own plan and taking responsibility for your own future. Uh, the other thing is, is if you still have a match, uh, try to keep putting money in to, to make sure you get that match. Uh, it's effectively free money. And then put that away, and it's working for you. And here, time is clearly on your side. If you're fairly young, you could be have that money working for you for 30 or 40 years. And even if you know, you're a little closer to retirement, you're buying into a market that is very, very down at the moment, so that the potential to get some benefit in from your investments is pretty strong, pretty positive. So participating as much as you still can, I think it's a very positive idea. A lot of people have seen the value of their 401ks go down you know, 40 or 50% in the last year and uh, freak out by either not participating, taking money out, or putting all the money into the safe, you know, the guaranteed investment contracts and money market funds. Uh, what, what is your advice for somebody who's scared by the losses they've seen in the last year or so? Well, you know, again, this is something that is your responsibility, but there's a lot of people. The, the market's actually come back over 30% in the last couple of months. So to participate, if you had pulled all your money out and didn't uh, have that recovery, you're probably not feeling terribly good right now. So just have a nice conservative balance that you can live with. But, uh, you know, the market has recovered. It's Again, it seems to be stabilizing. I would recommend continuing to participate as much as you can. Uh, but make sure it's in a mix of fixed income or and stocks that you can live with uh, so that, uh, you know, don't, this is not a, a time to be gambling, uh, clearly. But uh, you know, have that conservative mix that fits your personality. And how about borrowing against the 401k? Are people doing too much of that? Uh, I haven't seen any recent statistics on it, but you know, borrowing against 401k for uh, the acquisition of a house, which is a good long-term uh, asset, or funding education, which is clearly a good long-term investment. But, you know, there are some protections on that where you don't have to pay penalties, uh, but just to fund a lifestyle, I think that is a high-risk behavior. So I would try to be very conservative against that because if you borrow. Yes, it gives you access to some capital, but it also means that money is not working for you to take advantage of that time value, which is so critical in savings. Very good. Well, we've covered an awful lot of ground, and hopefully people get some good information here on how to deal with the tough economic times we're in very much. Uh, thanks very much to Ted Beck, who is the CEO and president of NIFI, which is the National Endowment for Financial Education based in Denver. Uh, their website is nifi.org if you want to find out more about them. Thanks again for being on the show, Ted. And thanks so much to you, the audience. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 